Welcome to Unveiled Podcast. My name is Peg Peters. In our session today, we are talking with Dr. Bruce Tobin, founder and president of Theracil. And Theracil is an organization out of Victoria that is advocating for the rights of patients to access psilocybin, particularly for end-of-life cancer patients. They are in the midst of a charter challenge that's taking place this July. And they are pushing Health Canada to amend their policies on getting particularly cancer patients that are suffering with end-of-life anxiety. They want access to this substance of psilocybin with a therapist and a physician so that they can help them deal with end-of-life anxiety. Dr. Bruce Tobin uh, is a counselor and worked for many years as a, a psychologist. Uh, he is inter he's interested in the interface between psychology and spirituality and the role that altered states play in enhancing clinical processes. Dr. Tobin, welcome to Unveiled Podcast. We're going to have a, a great conversation today aren't we thanks peg it's just great to be here great to see you again oh yeah well we have we have lots to get to cover today but let's just start with a bit of your background bruce uh you know one of the things i i love to do is um kind of how you got involved in psychedelics in the first place and i know this goes way back to your early days but i think we're at a place now in 2022 that we can kind of start disclosing you know, Bruce, when, you know, as a, as a person in psychology and a passion to help people heal, when did you first encounter psychedelics and realize that they're healing power? Well, Peg, that, that is an interesting story for me. I, I distinctly remember reading the first article on psychedelics that came out uh, in the media. I believe it was in Life magazine somewhere around 65 or 66. And it really made an impression on me uh, because uh, I had a family member who was uh, uh, struggling with depression. And, uh, you know, I wondered, would this be something that might be helpful for them? And uh, so I was about uh, 16, 17 at that time. Um, and uh, um, uh, this was just the very beginning of the, uh, the, the counterculture, the hippie generation. Uh, there was a, a lot of news coming out of the United States involving people like Timothy Leary and mm -hmm. so on. And uh, it grew to be a very contentious issue. This was a time where uh, virtually everyone around me was having some experimentation with uh, uh, psychedelics such as uh, psilocybin and uh, LSD. And like uh, so many people at that time, I uh, had several psychedelic experiences myself that left a lasting impression on me. Mm -hmm. um, I... I, I started to, to have some intuitions about how they could be very helpful uh, in dealing with uh, anxiety and depression and, and those kinds of issues. So uh, I went on to university uh, beginning in philosophy, uh, um, uh, but uh, taking a lot of psychology along the way and uh, uh, by the time I'd gotten into grad school, I, I realized, no, I don't want to be an academic philosopher. Uh, a lot of those guys were kind of dead from the neck down. And uh, so I realized that I wanted to make some kind of a change in the world. I wanted to make the world a better place before I passed on. 
And so I, uh, uh, in my graduate work, I steered things very heavily to clinical psychology and I wrote my doctoral dissertation on uh, uh, theory of psychotherapy. And when I graduated uh, with my PhD, I uh, got registered as a clinical counselor and later as a psychologist. And uh, I have had about a 40-year uh, career uh, in uh, general psychotherapy uh, in private practice, focusing on issues of anxiety, depression, and emotional trauma. So back around, uh, so then I, uh, I got to age 60 and I thought, that's a nice round number to retire on. Uh, I had worked for many years in private practice. Uh, I had had a part-time contract with a, uh, uh, the school district uh, near me. Uh, so I worked in the middle school system for many years. And I also had a, a long-term uh, association with Health Canada, uh, delivering psychological services to uh, First Nations communities in the uh, Victoria area. Uh, so there was a long period in which my interest in psychedelics uh, was completely dormant. And then uh, when I retired, uh, I, the first thing my wife and I did was jump in the van and head down to Baja, Mexico. Mm. Uh, I had heard from a client uh, a couple of years before then uh, what a great place Baja was. And uh, so we thought this would be a great sort of destination. Uh, the second night we were in Baja on a beach, we um, just casually ran into a woman uh, who turned out to be from Victoria. And uh, she was also traveling uh, south in Baja to uh, a home she had in a little village called Cabo Polmo. And uh, she invited us to, uh, to come down and uh, uh, spend a little bit of time there. So, uh, I developed a, a, a relationship of friendship with this woman, and uh, as we talked, she disclosed her own uh, personal history, and it turned out that she was someone who had uh, been battling trauma and depression uh, for many, many years. Uh, she had also uh, been diagnosed with cancer a couple of years before I met her, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, she was besotted with end-of-life anxiety and depression. And she was very desperate, and she was a very resourceful woman, too. She, she had tried a wide variety of treatments, pills of all kinds, therapists of all kinds, and shortly before I met her, she had just returned from a residential uh, therapy program in the States, uh, a, a kind of a thousand dollar a day kind of mm. thing, a rehab with the stars. Mm. And uh, that hadn't worked for her either. Uh, so she had uh, done some uh, reading, and this was just about the time that uh, Dr. Charles Grobe at UCLA was starting to come out with his first uh, clinical uh, studies on the use of psilocybin uh, for uh, end-of-life distress. Uh, 
And uh, so she had seen these papers and uh, um, she, she literally begged me mm. to provide treatment for her, uh, which I did. Mm. And what was her experience? Well, it was absolutely transformational. I know this word is so overused mm. these days, but that is a word that does fit in this case. She, her depression lifted, her anxiety uh, subsided, and she had a new lease on life. And I was just astounded at what I had seen because I'd been treating people like her for 40 years, and I had never seen the kind of clinical outcomes that I saw uh, with her. But I had always been uh, a team player in the sense that I had a respect for the laws of the land, and uh, I had a very strong desire to uh, to to follow the law, to respect the law, and my feeling at that time was, yeah, there's there's there was uh, I knew there was lots going on uh, surreptitiously in terms of underground therapy, but I thought uh, I don't want to break the law continually, so I'm going to try to change the law. Wow. So in January of 2017, after doing uh, an immense amount of uh, reading and study over uh, a, a couple of years, I filed uh, Canada's first uh, application uh, for the use of psilocybin for a medical purpose. And uh, in 2019, I founded uh, our nonprofit organization, Theracil, which is dedicated, we're, we're an entirely nonprofit uh, humanitarian organization that is dedicated to advocacy for patients' rights with respect to their access to psilocybin for, for medical purposes. Uh, in January of 2020, my application was formally rejected. And at that time, we were gearing up uh, for a constitutional challenge. And uh, I let the government know very clearly that that's what we intended to do. Uh, and to our um, amazement and uh, delight uh, in um, August of uh, 2020, uh, we received our first four approvals uh, for patients. Um, and on August the 12th, as you well know, mm. because you were there, we treated Canada's first psilocybin mm. patient legally. Thomas and Hartle from Saskatoon. Thomas Hartle, uh, we flew into Saskatoon and... Uh, you know, I remember being on the plane, mm. uh, taking off out of Victoria Airport and realizing, uh, you know, I'd had lots of contact with Thomas uh, through Zoom up to that point, but realizing that this was a historical kind mm. of event and that there were a lot of eyes uh, mm -hmm. across Canada looking at this to see what the outcome would be. And uh, as... As you will recall, we really did uh, 
uh, witnessed uh, an astoundingly positive. Outcome. Oh my goodness, Bruce. Uh, I'll have to just, that was one of the most amazing experiences for me. Um, you know, obviously I had the privilege of being able to document it and film it and interview, um, yeah. you know, him and him there with, with uh, his hospice worker, John, uh, and I interviewed Thomas uh, last week and, and John was on the podcast and uh, I just felt, you know, that that moment the night before when the four of us men were in his basement, yes. arms in arm, you know, yes. and we were there saying we tomorrow is going to be a beautiful day, Thomas. I know that you're scared and you, you know that you're dying. You've got this, this, this treatment, but you are very ready to let that go. And that's, that's not an intellectual exercise. That's something deeper and that this yes. altered state work is going to help you do. And we sat yes. there, four of us men in tears. We yes. all shared our stories yes. and, we, sh and we, we were in tears, the four of us men saying, we are here for you, Thomas. This is going to be something beautiful and deep and sacred even. And yes. uh, I'll never forget that moment. It was, uh, I could feel the energy in the room. Uh, it was a profound moment and it was, uh, it was a beautiful moment. And then the next day, watching him uh, take the psilocybin and uh, and be able to have that experience with us in the room uh, and then be able to integrate it the next day with you that was the second moment of magic as we yes. started asking him thomas what happened what's yes. shifting for you right yes. we began to hear his tales of huh i'm i'm feeling lighter i this maybe cancer isn't this thing that's right up against me dominating every moment and, and uh, peg i will never forget his response he said, before psilocybin, I was being dragged by the horse. Mm -hmm. Now I feel I'm riding the horse. What a difference. He wow. said, the horse may still be going to the same destination, mm -hmm. but I'm able to look around and I'm able to see that there's still so much beauty all around wow. It's unbelievable. Like you cannot, as you said about the, the, your, your friend in the Baja, 40 years of, of doing therapy to see a transformation like that is it's, 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 it's miraculous. It's unbelievable to witness and to yes. see the lasting effect. Like that's the thing. Two years later, Thomas is more alive now than he ever was after the session. He is you know vibrant. You know, I, I had a, a long conversation with Thomas uh, just a couple of days ago because we're fast friends now. Mm. And uh, he was telling me that there are medical indications that his cancer is now going into remission. Isn't that incredible? Uh, he was having to do uh, chemo, heavy chemo treatments that mm -hmm. trashed him for days at a time. Uh, every two weeks, they've now stretch that out to every three weeks because of the positive indications from the latest tests. So, yeah, it's, and, and, and you know, and this, the story is the same with, with Lori Brooks, who also had yes. one of the exemptions. And I, I, I was able to participate in that session as well. Yeah. And she has the same story. And now we have this film coming out dosed Two, which launches yeah. in August yes. in Vancouver. I've been a producer uh, on that project. And that's a story of Lori Brooks, a mother of four who yeah. got one of these end of life exemptions, a section 58, uh, 56 exemption through Theracil. And she had a psilocybin experience that absolutely radically changed her life. And when I say yes. changed her life, it's not just like I'm now calmer around cancer. It's that my every relationship in my life has been changed. 
how I relate Absolutely. to my children, how I relate to my marriage, how I think about my daily life, how I sleep, my level of anxiety and fear, all radically changed. Yes, indeed. And from the wonderful uh, experience that Thomas had, I went on to witness uh, six other experiences mm. just like that with outcomes that were just as positive. Mm. So here we've got these incredible, we've got, and this is just evidence from you six, you know, they, these six patients that you've got exemptions for, let alone all the, all the research from, from, from UCLA, Johns Hopkins, NYU, Imperial College, Synthesis Retreat, you know, UBC is doing uh, work with uh, PTSD. So we've got all this data. So why is Health Canada you know, in your opinion, why are they dragging their heels on this? What and how do we help move that needle? Well, uh, they're dragging their their heels, I think, because they're being very cautious. Uh, we have had uh, medical incidents in the past where a drug was brought to the market prematurely, and uh, later it was found that there were all sorts of uh, very serious side effects. Uh, so I think. Uh, the medical establishment has been chastened by those kinds of experiences. Uh, but uh, in, in, a, in a deeper and perhaps more general way, uh, we have for decades uh, lived in a culture that is very uncomfortable with the idea mm -hmm. of uh, drugs that uh, or medicines that that uh, change uh, our mental state. Mm. Um, I, I think we are moving forward. The science has certainly moved, uh, moved forward. I, I mean, uh, since uh, those landmark uh, studies came out, there were two landmark studies that were published concurrently in the same journal in December of 2017. Uh, Oh, 2016, and uh, both of them uh, were uh, full-fledged clinical studies that that so clearly documented the efficacy of psilocybin with end-of-life distress. Uh, if I could just uh, uh, quote something really briefly. Um, so the, the, this is the clinical trial that came out in a clinical study in 2016? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and there, there were two groups. Uh, there was a group at Johns Hopkins University and another uh, uh, group at New York in, uh, University. The Johns Hopkins team said, psilocybin produced large and significant decreases in clinician uh, rated and self-rated measures of depression, anxiety, or mood disturbance, and increases in measures of quality of life, life meaning, death acceptance, and optimism. Wow. These effects were sustained at six months. Wow. Uh, like the, the New York team said psilocybin produced immediate substantial and sustained improvements in anxiety and depression and led to decreases in cancer-related demoralization and hopelessness, improved spiritual well-being, and increased quality of life. Hmm. The Hopkins wow. team said no serious adverse events attributed to psilocybin administration occurred. 
And the New York team said, psilocybin has a well-established physiological and psychological safety profile in human laboratory and clinical trial research. There were no serious side effects, either medical or psychiatric, in the trial that were attributed to psilocybin. Wow. Like what a statement. Like what when, a statement. It's and it both of it's not just the reduction. That's what I think is so amazing. It's not just the reduction in anxiety and depression around cancer, but it's the turning on of the vitality of life, of the, of the waking up connection that I am connected to myself, to others, to the planet, and to something larger. And that allows us to position our, ourselves that we belong that we're not these Absolutely. lone individuals floating around, uh, you know, I think yes. it's important to understand. Absolutely. Because one of the, the bottom line uh, common denominator experiences that, that comes out of psilocybin is the, the conviction of our interrelatedness and our interdependentness. Mm, yeah. And that's such so a, and I think, you know, together. and that's what, I mean, if you can, if you can categorize depression, it's, you know, depression is this, is my feeling that I'm isolated alone, that I don't matter in the universe. And that yes. it's, you know, in its extreme form that it would almost be better if I was gone and dead. Yes. Right. I mean, that's, that is the opposite of I'm connected. I'm alive. Indeed. I'm loved. I belong. Yes. And, uh, uh, I think it's important to, to say that, uh, with several of the patients that I treated initially, uh, their issues involve not only the end of life distress, but several of those patients turned out to have some, uh, to be carrying some real traumatic material. Mm. Uh, some of it very deep and some of it very long standing. And in addition to the uh, the alleviation of the end of life distress. I saw those traumatized patients go through very, very difficult uh, psilocybin mm -hmm. sessions, but they came out the other side just feeling so healed and so blessed. Wow. And so I started to realize that um, there was something entirely new going on. With trauma, the conventional thinking is that uh, trauma is like a wound that doesn't heal. It's like a bone that gets broken and it's not going to heal unless it's properly reset. And so um, trauma is thought to um, cast a shadow over the sufferer's future. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, in, impairing their their confidence, uh, uh, their 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 feeling good feelings about themselves, uh, and I've come to see that psilocybin, rather than uh, casting a trauma over one's future or, or a, a shadow over the future, seems to cast a sunbeam mm. over the future oh. and those that have gone through those experiences of connection to 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 self connection to to the world co connection to transcendence and god in whatever form they think of mm. uh, of god uh they they have more resilience. There's, there's an mm. inner resilience that they have that makes them 
uh, far less susceptible to being knocked over by the vicissitudes of life. Yeah, you especially know, especially modern life. Yeah, you talk about a window of tolerance, right? That are we, we in our in our modern world, we often have these very small window of tolerances for difficult feelings, right? Yes. Psilocybin seems to increase our ability to be able to be okay with yes. it's not that my life is perfect. That's not what psilocybin does. It's not, it doesn't change your external experience. It it begins to give you a different perspective on the the life that I'm in right now. Now, with all of its complexities and challenges that's all yes. it is is complexities and challenges it, and so in to say ah oh, this is part of the journey i'm on this is the story i'm in right now and exactly. i'm awake and alive to it that's very yes. different than traumatized by it yes so psilocybin it's not a feel-good drug it's mm. not about euphoria it's about getting in touch with inner truth and what really counts what really matters mm. and being able to focus on that and respond to it you know if you think about thomas and i, I and I, I asked him this question i've asked laurie brooks the same thing both of them are on in a very similar place that they were given the diagnosis by their physician that's sorry we can't there's nothing else we can do uh you know colon cancer is is horrific uh, and, and so you just think, sorry, there's nothing else we can do. We've done all the surgeries we can. And yet here, both of them, their cancer load continues to drop six months, a year, a year and a half later, there's not only still alive, barely yes. hanging on with tubes, they're vibrant and alive and their cancer load is dropping. So to me, what's going on here? Like, I mean, I, I I'm going to, I'm going to just posit something, Bruce, and I'd love to, you kind of riff on this, you know? As we understand the mind-body connection in a deeper way, our Western models have bracketed it out, you know, you're, you're, that there's any connection here. I just give you a pill and we're going to deal with your body. And I'm finding that what this treatment seems to do is that if I can reorient you back into a proper alignment to your inner healing intelligence, that you could have a connection to yourself, the world and beyond, that somehow that process allows the body's process of, 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 of healing to, to, to have its maximum impact that, that we, be, that your body begins to have the best fighting chance against cancer that it can. We know that parasympathetic state, the rest and digest state is the only time our body can actually fight disease and fight, fight anything. And Absolutely. we're in a constant, you know, uh, agitated state of, of anxiety and fear. And then we put in a, a global pandemic and we bring everyone's nervous system up. You can imagine that psilocybin, what it does is it brings you down to a state of healing and rest so that your body has a fighting chance against cancer. And it seems like at least some of the, the anecdotal evidence that this is giving people like Thomas and Lori and others the best chance to lower their cancer loads because they're dealing with this, the anxiety that's creating this uh, tension inside of them. Riff on that. What do you think of that, Bruce? Well, uh, I don't think anyone uh, wants to claim that psilocybin cures cancer. No, no we're not saying that. But you're absolutely right uh, in pointing to the mind-body connection. We know that that happy people do well. Uh, people that are in touch with themselves do better medically. We know that anxiety and depression uh, affects our immune systems and makes us less able to fight these. Hmm. kinds of wow disease. 
I can, yeah. I can, I just, I can't wait for, because these are the things that we're just, it's almost like we say, well, their, their cancer seems to be going away. We don't want to connect it to psilocybin. We just yeah. want to say that seems to be happening. We don't know why, but it is happening with some patients and we've got to study this because I think the potential here is massive. Right. So Peg, to continue this story mm -hmm. a little bit, uh, as well as being a, a, an experienced therapist who, who treated these initial uh, patients with uh, psilocybin legally, uh, in uh, September of 2020, uh, I, be, I myself uh, uh, began to suffer some really acute uh, mental distress on a mm. personal level. In September of 2020, at age 72, I myself was uh, diagnosed with colon cancer. Uh, oh, so, sorry, uh, with prostate cancer. Okay. And that threw me for a loop because that diagnosis came completely out of the blue. I was experiencing no symptoms whatsoever. Uh, uh, at, uh, it, in my 70s, I, I'm, I'm continuing to kiteboard and hike and uh, I'm physically vibrant. So it was a real shock to my system when I got that diagnosis. Uh, and uh, at first it was, well, it's uh, just a little bit there and it's probably pretty slow moving and you could probably go another 15 or 20 years without having to worry about it. But then in June of 2021, about six months later, uh, the, 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 the new uh, uh, diagnostics told me, uh, no, this thing's moving pretty fast quick and you better get on this right away and i'm telling you that really catapulted me into my own very high anxiety and wow. and serious depression it's like uh the big thumb came out of the sky uh on me when i least uh expected it wow what was that uh so how did that manifest for you inability to concentrate just not wanting to leave what did it what did it feel like bruce well it was a constant anxiety uh, uh a, a, a terrific sense of loss mm. uh I, 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 it affected all of my relationships, especially my intimate relationships with family and so on. Um, uh, I had trouble sleeping, my appetite went down. Uh, um, I found myself uh, constantly thinking really depressed stuff. Wow. Uh, so, uh, uh, yeah, that that was a very, very difficult time for me. Mm. And and yet, uh, in spite of the depression and anxiety, I also had a very stark realization that I was now able to understand my patients way better than I ever had been able to before. This wasn't just a cognitive intellectual exercise. You're like, I get it. I feel yeah. it. I know exactly what you're feeling. Now I'm really starting to get it. Yeah. Mm. So what did you uh, do with that? Well, uh, I'll tell you what I did with it. Uh, in, so uh, that was September of 2020. Now in December of 2020, I received uh, uh, Health Canada approval for 
uh, three sessions uh, of psilocybin for training purposes, mm -hmm. because one thing uh, our organization had done was to make the point that uh, that it's very helpful for therapists to go through the, the psychedelic experience in order to really be able to understand their patients and empathize with them. So, uh, so I got those sessions uh, and then, uh, in December of 2020, and, and by June, the doctors were telling me, oh, this is getting bad, you gotta do something quick. So in September of 2021, uh, I went through uh, uh, what's called a radical prostatectomy. They took my whole prostate out. Uh, and at this point, I am considered to be free uh, of cancer. However, after the surgery, I found that my anxiety and depression didn't really come down. I didn't just heave, heave a big sigh of relief and I'm fine now and go on. I, I was constantly worrying about whether they had got it all because they can't tell you for sure that they've got it all uh, uh, following the surgery. I was worrying whether they got it all. I was whether, worrying whether it would return somehow. I was worrying about whether other organs in my body would be more susceptible to cancer. So my, my uh, end of life like depression and anxiety did not really uh, subside uh, substantially. So uh, in November of 2021, I had a legal psilocybin session, and that was the with the approval that I'd been given uh, from Health Canada for training purposes. Wow! Uh, and indeed, uh, I received a a wonderful benefit on that level. Like mm. as I say, I could uh, because of the, that experience, I could empathize and understand my patients much more deeply. In terms, what were of some of your intentions on that, Bruce? Because that's a really beautiful personal moment that you got to experience. That how did you prepare for that? And what was what were some of the insights that? And if that's not too personal, what what were some of the insights that you gained on from your psilocybin experience? Yeah, well, I I went in with with an intention on two levels. Uh, on a professional level, I was looking for understanding uh, my patients. On a personal level, I was looking for some healing and relief from, from, uh, from this terrible emotional burden that I'd, I'd uh, been carrying. Um, I, I did not go in with extremely specific and precise intentions. I went in with the general intention to simply stay with and be with whatever shows up. And I think that's really the, the best intention in the world, uh, to simply dance with whoever and whatever shows up with the understanding and the faith that if we stick with it and we allow it to move us emotionally, it will transform. Uh, and we are now open to images and thoughts and emotions, which are far more satisfying. And how, so what so, happened for you? 
Well, you know, uh, Peg, I, I felt that I had gotten a triple whammy of death and dying mm. uh, in, in the two or three years uh, around that time, in, in the sense that I had focused so much of my my professional life and my, my practice as a therapist on issues of death and dying. And then COVID came along and that was a way of putting death and dying collectively up in the face of all of us. And, and that was right at a time where, where normally when, when you're facing something uh, emotionally really challenging, you can reach out physically and, and receive hugs from people. And, and, and yet now we're all freaked from COVID and we can't go near one another. We can't touch each other. We can't hug one another like we used to. So, and then, uh, and then as a third level, uh, I get my own cancer. And so that that's a real whammy. And then uh, you know I'm 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 my birthdays are now into the 70s, and I'm I'm confronted with the fact that I'm not going to live forever. I'm starting to feel a, a decline on a physical level, and uh, so that just brings the death and dying thing really home to me in in, in a very serious way. And Peg, I'll I'll share with you that. For, for the four to five hours of my session, I cried most mm. of the time. I cried for, for all the suffering of my patients that I'd witnessed so clearly. I cried for the, what the world was going through, and I cried for, uh, for my own death. And, and it was a kind of period of anticipatory grieving. Uh, and just just coming face to face with the fact of my own mortality. Um, I, 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 I'm not dying right now, but I know it's coming up sooner or later. And uh, I, I came out of that having just sort of emptied my soul of the grief. And I came out feeling so much lighter wow I, I can see it in your face just well, it just changed like bruce just listening to you and then yeah. seeing your face wow what a transformation that you're able to feel i came out feeling that i had a new lease on life peg wow and That's amazing yeah it's amazing so, uh, so that was that was just uh i mean on a on a uh, on a psychological level it, there was a wonderful shift on a spiritual level mm. there was a deep shift as well mm. and, and uh, I, I i really had a deep sense of of my interconnectedness with the with the universe my my oneness with all things uh i i felt that i tapped into a an infinite sea of love and i just felt bathed in that love and i could let all of my cares and and worries and fears go and i cried them out and i just felt that they were lifted off me and it was it was it was a a redemptive experience 
Wow, I'm so happy for you, Bruce, for a person like you who has worked tirelessly for years with, with patients, working with them in, in this way. And I know that you've been advocating for the rights to get access to this medicine for years. And so yes. for you to be able to get that exemption, do it legally and, and yes. to actually use it in a time when you needed it most, right? Yes. You were facing your own cancer and to be able to have that experience and transform your own, you know, life. It's not a, it's not a mental exercise. People, you know, this isn't like I got to read a book and then, you know, I have a new idea on life. This is a, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a deep, spiritual transformation that's really you using those words and i i think you're right to to use them it is a spiritual experience as as much as our western world and science doesn't want to go into that because we don't know how to pin it down right but exactly. you know but paul tillich a a a, a theologian from yep. way back called called this the ground of being you don't have to use the word yes. god the yes. ground of all being that yeah. we are all connected to, you got to experience that connection to that. Exactly. Found. E exactly. So, uh, so that the, there was a wonderful healing there, but over the, the, the months since then, I'm starting to feel some of that anxiety and depression returning. And that's true of, of many of the patients that we've treated that, it's not a magical cure that lasts for the rest of their life. Some people, just like with the COVID vaccines, are going to benefit from a booster. Hmm. Uh, maybe uh, months apart, maybe years apart. But many people, uh, and, and this is well established in the clinical literature, that for many people, more than one session is really appropriate. Hmm. So uh, I have now uh, applied for a, uh, a Section 56 exemption that would allow me to legally use organic mushroom psilocybin for another therapeutic dose for hmm. myself. And uh, uh, I am asking for access to organic uh, mushrooms uh, as a form of psilocybin rather than the synthetic because I, I think there's good science to, to show that there are, uh, there are substances, uh, compounds in the organic uh, mushroom that are not present in the uh, synthetically uh, made psilocybin. Hmm. And yet Health Canada at this point has closed the Section 56 exemption uh, process uh, as a route for uh, mm. access to psilocybin. And they're saying it's only available through the special access uh, program now. And the only form of psilocybin that's available would be the synthetic psilocybin. Mm. That, that so, it's, there's so there's so many problems I have with that, Bruce. I mean, and we can get absolutely. into that, particularly looking at what Oregon is doing. Uh, you know, o Oregon is 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 saying we want access to organic mushrooms, not psilocybin, because these are naturally occurring substances. Uh, and so I, I think that's a really interesting angle that you just mentioned is to say, why are we criminalizing access to something that grows on our planet? Exactly, exactly. And so, uh, um, yeah, I, I want to be able to grow my own just the way Thomas did. 
I'm sure there's going to be a price differential mm -hmm. uh, b between uh, organic mushrooms and the synthetic uh, psilocybin that's manufactured by uh, pharmaceutical companies. And uh, uh, I believe that I have a right to choose my medicine uh, that it, that a right that stems from the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, and has been affirmed by the courts. And uh, uh, if we want to wade into this, I think it is important because uh, Canada's high courts have ruled in several landmark cannabis cases that the ab absolute prohibition of Canada cannabis by the uh, Controlled Drugs and Substances Act uh, contravenes the provisions of Section 7 of the Canadian Charter that says everyone has the right to life, liberty, and mm. security of person. Mm -hmm. So in one of those landmark cases, the, the judge's ruling was uh, as follows. Liberty includes the right to make decisions of fundamental personal importance, mm. including the choice of medication to alleviate the effects of an illness with life-threatening consequences. Deprivation by means of a criminal sanction of access to medication reasonably required for the treatment of a medical condition that threatens life or health also constitutes a deprivation of security of the person. So our contention in court will be that there are very close parallels between medical cannabis and medical psilocybin. And what is true for the goose has to be true for the gander. Yeah, I think that's really important that this uh, that this provision that, you know, the precedent has already been set in Canada, right? We've exactly. already argued this right in the yes. in Ontario Court of Appeal in 2000 yep. and then su yep. the Supreme Court in 2015. Exactly. We have said that medical cannabis, if it's going to help someone and is a medicine and you deny that you are actually infringing on the rights of the security of that person. And all we need to do is take the word uh, cannabis out and put in psilocybin. It's still the exact same argument, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. So there's a very strong legal argument. We're very confident that that will succeed. And then we have several other arguments. Uh, perhaps the, the most well-known is, 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 can be stated really succinctly. If I have the right to die, and now Canadians uh, in medical distress have the right to die in virtue of the Medical Assistance in Dying Act, if I have the right to die, I have the right to try. Yeah. And yeah. what reasonable Canadian with a heart could possibly disagree with that? Yeah, and, and I think, and, and just to add another layer, and I, I brought this up in a couple other interviews too, we have established that that a physician, a doctor and a patient, this is their business. It's nothing to do with the court, nothing to do with the government, nothing to do with me. It's a physician and a patient that should decide how they want to navigate their own treatment. And what you are advocating is to say, can we put this back into the hands of a therapist and a physician that exactly. they get to be the decision maker, not Health Canada as some kind of, you know, weird uncle and aunt that's going to, you know, not allow us to have what the doctor wants. So what we're asking for is what we already believe 
a physician and a patient should be able to decide what is the right treatment for your, for your anxiety, for your end of life anxiety. And we're just saying, give these doctors and therapists the tool they need. It's mm -hmm. safe. It's not addictive. It's effective. We just want them to have access to that tool. That's what we're asking, aren't we? Right. And, and, and we'll recall that uh, uh, Pierre Trudeau, uh, Justin's father, uh, um, almost 50 years ago, uh, brought in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and he is uh, uh, around the whole issue of uh, uh, sexual orientation. Mm -hmm. He famously said, the government has no right to be in the bedrooms of the nation. Mm. And in like manner, I'm suggesting the government has no right to be in the consulting offices of medical practitioners. Wow. So well said, Bruce. And I, I think, uh, you know, it, when you put it so succinctly, it becomes ludicrous, not, not only on, on the research that's behind this, not only on safety, but on the fact that, that the, the country the, that, what is it, 80 some percent of Canadians are open to this. They're saying, yes. hey, if someone is dying, and they want to use mushrooms to be able to deal with their anxiety, have at it, go, you know, we don't even need to do research on this. We, we are already going to give them a, a drug that's going to kill them. We're okay with doctors doing yeah, that, yeah. but we are not okay with a physician helping them live and deal with their anxiety and fear. It's ludicrous, Bruce, isn't it? it absolutely. Mm. But I, I really have confidence at this point that, that things will move forward. Mm. Uh, I think the court decision will be uh, will be monumental. Um, so I'm feeling some real optimism now. Wow, that yeah. it's it's incredible that uh, part of your journey has is I mean, and I appreciate you sharing from your heart, Bruce, the fact that you have undergone, uh, you know, cancer, and had an operation, and then dealt with it using psilocybin yourself, and being able to go, I can speak firsthand of this, this isn't just anecdotal evidence, or just my patients, I can speak firsthand. So I can't think of a better advocate to be pushing this charter forward, this charter challenge, than therapy and and your organization bruce i'm so excited to to see this land in the court's lap and i hope i hope that it doesn't have to go to court i hope that the that the health canada looks at the challenge and says we don't want to spend hundreds of thousands of taxpayers dollars why would we want to do that to stop something that's going to help people you know yes. so i really hope that they said okay here Give us a model of safety in which we can feel comfortable uh, in the consultation with the therapist and physician and yeah. let them push it back onto the physician. That's, I think, what we want, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. We want regulations that are completely analogous to the current cannabis regulations. The choice to use is between patient and doctor. And, and uh, another interesting thing uh, uh, in, in terms of the political development of, the, of these ideas has to do with many people would think, oh, these guys are advocating for, uh, you know, a wider acceptance of, uh, of uh, um, psychoactive drugs. Many people sort of associate that as a, a kind of a left wing political cause. Uh, and it's true that there is uh, a caucus uh, within, the, uh, within the Liberal Party, uh, a, a group of MPs. I believe there are 
uh, more than 15 who who are at are, are in to total support of this who are advocating a kind of a, a Portugal style uh, let's decriminalize all drugs mm. um, but the interesting thing Peg is that we're attracting uh, the interest and the support of some fairly conservative politicians mm. as well. The politicians who never have been very comfortable with MAID are starting to realize mm. that access to psilocybin will very likely decrease the amount of the number of applications that are made to end a patient's life. Right, right. And you can think about the downline effect of that. Part of the fear of, of some of these conservative thinkers are if, if you give patients access to, to end of life, uh, you know, made, then, you know, where, where's that line? What about people that are depressed? They don't want to live. Can they, can we, you know, can you talk with a physician say, you know, I'm, I'm 18, I'm really depressed. Uh, I want to end my life. And the doctor says, here you go. I mean, that's kind of the ludicrous nature of where we yes. think this is going to go. But what if the reverse was true? What what if that that issue of saying to a physician or therapist, I'm really navigating my end. Of, I want to die. I don't feel like I belong. And and the physician says, well, I've got something here, a treatment that you can do with a with a therapist that's going to allow you to navigate that so that, that this is not even a thought in your head that you can actually have be free of that. We want our citizens to be vibrant and alive, contributing citizens of Canada. We don't want depressed individuals that that in, in want we that's not what we dream of we want people yes. to be released to be alive and so here is a substance that can help do that with a therapist and a physician i, I think that's a brilliant way in yes so there are some patients that uh in virtue of their psilocybin experience they're uh energized to to live they they feel they have a new lease on life and there will be other patients that on the basis of their psilocybin experience, they come to acceptance mm. and peace with dying. Mm. And I just want to share one of those stories with mm. one of the first six that I treated. Uh, this was a woman uh, who was very close to death because of stage four cancer. Uh, she had uh, 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 filled out her maid paperwork uh, several months before I met her, but she was terrified of dying. Mm. And her pain got worse and worse and worse. Uh, the doctor said, look, we could cut a nerve that would end your pain instantly. Now, your leg wouldn't be able to work anymore, but uh, you're, you're dying anyway. So this would be a relief for you. You would have some, at least some days of, of pain free uh, before you passed. Uh, but she was so terrified of dying and in so much denial that she, she wouldn't have that, uh, that, that nerve surgery performed. So we get to her session and she experiences an immense amount of grief. She's in a great deal of pain. Uh, uh, it was a, a very rough day for her. Uh, and uh, the physician who attended the session and, and uh, uh, worked with me as my associate, we kind of looked at each other at the end of the day and, wow, this, is, this, isn't, this, isn't, a, a, this is a rough session she's mm. had. 
And I, I remember feeling saddened as I drove home. Well, the next day, about nine o'clock, I get this call from the physician, Bruce, there's been a 180 degree turn in this thing. The patient is virtually pain free now. And I've been able to back off on all of my medications. And she's, she's present and she's able to connect with her family and she's cracking jokes. And the following day, and, 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 and uh, the, the doctor says, and in addition, she seems to have lost her fear of death. She's oh telling us she's ready to go. And the following day, she messages her friends, invites them over to say goodbye to her. And they have a little goodbye party together. Mm. And when they leave, the patient calls her maid doctor and she goes in mm. peace and acceptance and dignity. Wow. Um, to be part of those kinds of experiences has been life-changing for me. Oh, Bruce, I, I can't. light to my heart and soul. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I just think, you know, in our Western culture, we have such a, we have such a fear of death. We have such a, we, we don't know how to, we, we, we medicalize it. We push it away. We, you know, we put people in little, you know, in rooms where we don't want to have to navigate them. And yeah. yet here, this substance, this experience allows her to draw in her family, to feel at peace inside, to feel connected with her friends and family. Yes. I mean, that's what we all want when, when, when death comes, we all want to make peace with our life and yes. be able to connect with our friends and family before we pass. Yes. What a gift, what a gift you were able to give her. I, I wanna just mention one other mm. patient, Peg, because th this one probably made the most impression on me of all. Mm. This woman, when I met her, I can easily say she was the most depressed and demoralized patient I had ever worked with in my 40 year career. Mm. She said, when I get up in the morning, I, there's nothing to live for. She said, inside, I died a couple of years ago. And she was completely despondent. Now, uh, as part of her, uh, because of her cancer, she had uh, terrible problems with nausea. And she had a really rough psilocybin trip because some nausea came up. Mm. But despite the nausea, uh, she came out of that saying, it's like all the rough corners and the rough edges of my life mm. seem to be smoothed off and, and sanded. And uh, I just, I feel, I had an experience of floating through the universe completely free of all the stuff that's been dragging me down for so long. Well, her cancer and her cancer pain got worse and worse over the next months. And uh, about seven months later, I get a call from her. Bruce, I've decided to go with the maid process and uh, I'm going to be leaving on, on Monday at one o'clock uh, in the palliative ward of the hospital. I'd really like you to come down and see mm. me off. So I go down and I'd seen this woman so depressed, but she wasn't depressed that mm. day. Her eyes were clear. She mm. was connecting with me in a way that I'd never experienced. 
and she was completely ready to go mm. and completely at peace with it to the point that she saw some humor around the whole thing mm. the maid doctor was supposed to show up right at one o'clock he didn't show up till 107 and i remember her jokingly reproving him saying doctor you're late i was starting to to, to worry that I'd miss my flight. <laughs> miss my flight, miss my own death. Wow. So that I, is incredible. I, I will never uh, ever forget standing at the foot of her bed, watching her eyes and listening to her as the maid doctor turned his little valve and the the chemicals started to flow into her system. And there was one moment where she was completely alive. And within two or three minutes, I realized she's gone. And I walked out of that hospital with a absolutely full heart saying, I have witnessed a good death. Wow. That's a beautiful, and, beautiful way to frame that. What an incredible yeah. Bruce. Wow. And, and, and being able to witness that peg mm. uh, can gives me and, and really can give all of us who are able to witness that hope that I can have that kind of a death mm. that my family members, that all of us, can potentially have that kind of a dying process. Wow, that's uh, what a beautiful story there, Bruce. You have been up close to these incredible moments in people's lives, and it's from that depth and from that experience that you're bringing this charter challenge. This is coming from your heart, which is full of compassion and love for the patients that you've had and for the suffering patients that are asking, like, think about your wait list right now of patients yeah. that have applied through Theracil for a section 56 that have not been able to be given it, that the SAP program is, is not functioning well. It's really cumbersome and no one's getting access to this medicine. So your heart is on behalf of those people and I can feel it today. And yes. I, uh, I just want to thank you on behalf of these patients and on the thank behalf of people like Thomas and Lori, who I've met personally, who have benefited from all the hard work and advocacy that you've done, Bruce, um, and, and for Theracil and all the team that's behind it. Uh, I'm, uh, it's just an honor to be connected with you guys and, and what you're doing. So thank you so much, Bruce. This is, this has been an amazing conversation. I've got, I've got a few more questions. Is that okay if I ask a sure, couple more? Let's, let's go for it. But I, I just yeah. want to make the point that uh, it, it's taken a community to mm. do this. Yeah. And the, the team that we've pulled together for, with Therasol has been in itself a wonderful experience mm. i mean i've worked with professional teams before and a lot of them are dysfunctional but we have a, a group that's come together there's warmth there's love mm. there's respect along with the competence and it has been a an absolute delight to work over the last mm. three years with my theracil team Oh, well, yeah, I've, I've met uh, 
most of them. And yeah. I would just say what a, what a gift each of them is in their, their own area and their own area of expertise. And uh, it's an, it's uh, it's an incredible, it's an incredible organization. And I really believe that you guys are going to be uh, you know, the, one of the ones who help push the, the needle for Canadians and to get this charter challenge uh, at, you know, onto you know into play but then also having the shift that we need to happen in the law so that this isn't five people a year getting access exactly. but it becomes hundreds and even thousands and that maybe yes. goes down to the issue of how many therapy uh therapists and physicians we need trained and i know therasil is a yeah. training organization yeah. you know what's coming <clears throat> you know that this is a tool you know you need to train people i think you've trained well over 200 uh, uh yes uh, we have yeah across canada physicians and therapists and others that on how to use this substance well how to sit with people how to do you know um, it's kind of ground school right how to hold space exactly. all of yes. those things are very important to understand and you guys probably have one of the best training programs i've come across so it's a it's a it's an incredible organization you're you're right to um helps spread the love because your team is amazing. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm very, very proud of our, our group of trainers. We've got just some excellent people. Mm, mm. You, you said a couple of things. I just wanted to pick up in the end and, and uh, cause it's for me, it's kind of a personal, uh, personal interest is you use the word spirituality. And this is a tough one in, in our Western scientific approach because we, we, we don't want to get into that too much. We want to just keep it really sciencey. But when you get into psychedelics, you're talking about, you know, uh, being in an altered state. You're talking about moving and connecting into a realm that we just, science has a tough time pinning down, right? I mean, historically, we know that shamanic cultures do this practice using drumming and breathwork yeah, and others. So yeah. this isn't new. We, it's not like we invented this. We did. We, this is an ancient, ancient practice of using altered states to connect into a different realm in order to bring healing to the community and to our lives. So for you, how, how, what's the connection between psychedelics and spirituality? How do you kind of meld those two realms? Well, that's always been the real fascinating part of this for me, Peg. Uh, I have never seen any fundamental disagreement between uh, between science and spirituality. Uh, I believe that science is, is the, uh, a, a very important tool and it works very well uh, within its domain of the physical world. But the, the domain of, of science is the, the physical world and the domain of spirituality is the interior world. The world of experience, and uh, uh, I don't have a lot of uh, uh, rigid, specific religious beliefs. Uh, I because and I don't I don't feel sad because of that because I I realize that the way we really connect to life is not through our heads but through our hearts. And so it's not about what we believe so much as what we experience. And when we have direct experience of a, uh, of a sense of universal love, that's universal, but it also relates to me directly and personally, uh, 
I don't need faith when I've had that experience. And so uh, I don't want to get caught up in endless philosophical discussions about does God exist and how do you prove it and all that stuff. It's not about belief. It's about having the experience of the presence of transcendence and divinity in our lives and a sense of, of a purpose in life that's bigger than me, a sense of meaning that's bigger than just my little ego and what I want, uh, a sense of, of being connected to, to life as a whole and participating in it in a loving way. Those are the values that, that have become clearer and clearer for me uh, through my psychedelic experience. And they're also the values that, that seem to be the bedrock of virtually all of the great spiritual traditions of the world. I mean, uh, different religions or different cultures have evolved uh, uh, different forms of religion, but imagine that the, the spokes of a wheel, uh, they're very divergent at the outside, but they converge in the center with a core of truth. And, uh, uh, you know, when we boil everything down to the kind of truth that makes it or breaks us on our deathbed it's can we let love in wow what a what a beautiful ending bruce uh you know to bring this around because we're talking about end of life access to for patients and here you were able to bring it right around to say doesn't matter what your beliefs are at the end of the day when you are on your deathbed can you do you have the ability to let love in and I, I, I just think that's a beautiful summary uh, of what we are trying to advocate for here. We are advocating for healing, connection, love, openness, transcendence, something larger than, than ourselves. And I think in our world like ours, we need that now more than ever. I think yes. people feel lost, alone, disconnected. They have lost their spiritual connections. People no longer kind of, uh, you know, the average person isn't connecting in Canada with typical religion that yeah. it doesn't seem to be doing anything. It seems to be such a belief yeah. dogmatic thing. Yeah. And they're just like, that doesn't work. And what you're saying is, that's not what I'm interested in either. I'm yes. interested in the felt experience of yes. feeling love from the yes. universe. Yes. And that's where these kinds of experiences with psilocybin can, can help people feel that transcendence, that feeling of belonging and, and, and wholeness, that love that you felt after yours, that, that, that Thomas felt, that Lori, that yes. all your patients yes. have felt. Yes. Why wouldn't we want Canadians to have access to that if they want that, if that's yes. one of their choices, right? Yes. And wow. many of us, Peg, we realize that we're moving into a rather dark and troubled uh, phase in world history. Mm -hmm. uh, COVID, uh, wars, creeping authoritarianism, uh, um, uh, environmental collapse, global changes. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I have come to believe more and more clearly that 
the, that the experience behind psilocybin and the other uh, psychoactive, well, the psychedelics is going to play an important role in helping us adapt to a new world mm. and preserving the the the, uh, the coals, keeping the, the the candle inside the uh, humanity, keeping that flame alive mm. while we navigate these very very difficult uh, situations mm. uh, globally. Um, well, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's uh, what a beautifully said, Bruce. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up here, but uh, I just want to thank you for being on the podcast, for sharing your stories and your heart. Uh, anything that you want to leave our audience with here, uh, as any last, you know, any last pitch on 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 why this is such an important issue for Canadians to become aware of and educated around. Well, you know, I I kind of think I've said it mm-hmm. almost uh, um yeah i, I think you did we... too yeah no bruce uh, it's, so i'll uh, leave it there yeah i think you've done a lot you've done done a great work just want to make sure if there's anything else but bruce it's been an absolute pre- pleasure to have you on we've had bruce tobin here who is the the president and the founder of Theracil therapeutic psilocybin organization that is launching a charter challenge uh in in canada here in july advocating for the rights of Canadians to have access to a substance that they can navigate with their physician and their therapist if they so choose. We want to stand behind Theracil's actions here and we really uh, we really encourage Canadians to go to theracil.ca if you want to donate and help uh, on this charter challenge, please go to theracil.ca and you can help legalize therapeutic psilocybin in Canada. Patients are in need. There are th- hundreds of them waiting and we want to see this the, the, this move uh, in this in, in the next few months here. So thank you so much, Bruce, for coming on the show and uh, we look forward to following up uh, as this charter gets unfolded, the charter challenge. I hope in six months you and I can chat or even sooner and to Absolutely. say, guess what? It's, uh, it, it's open. Yeah. We, physicians and therapists can have access to this substance and we can begin the beautiful journey of helping people heal and connect yes indeed and and peg i i want to thank you so much because we couldn't do what we're doing without folks like you doing what you're doing so it's you're you're part of that community that that village that's taking this forward well thanks so much bruce well have a great day and we'll be definitely in touch thanks for coming on unveiled podcast have a great day Bye-bye.